Our first reading this morning is from the book of Acts, chapter 16, verses 1 through 13. Paul came also to Derbe and to Lystra. A disciple was there named Timothy, the son of a Jewish woman who was a believer, but his father was a Greek. He was well spoken of by the brothers at Lystra and Iconium. Paul wanted Timothy to accompany him, and he took him and circumcised him because of the Jews who were in those places, for they all knew that his father was a Greek. As they went on their way through the cities, they delivered to them for observance the decisions that had been reached by the apostles and elders who were in Jerusalem. So the churches were strengthened in the faith, and they increased in numbers daily. And they went through the region of Phrygia and Galatia, having been forbidden by the Holy Spirit to speak word in Asia. And when they had come up to Mysia, they attempted to go into Bithynia, but the Spirit of Jesus did not allow them. So passing by Mysia, they went down to Troas, and a vision appeared to Paul in the night. A man of Macedonia was standing there urging him and saying, Come over to Macedonia and help us. And when Paul had seen the vision, immediately we sought to go into Macedonia, concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. So setting sail from Troas... We, met a, we made a direct voyage to Samothrace, and the following day to Neapolis, and from there to Philippi, which is a leading city of the district of Macedonia and a Roman colony. We remained in this city some days, and on the Sabbath day we went outside the gate to the riverside, where we supposed there was a place of prayer, and we sat down and spoke to the women who had come together. This is the word of the Lord. Well, our second reading is from Philippians, where you see that uh, the apostle and those with him just uh, had come, come to minister. So this is a letter written to them after this event, but let's read verses 1 through 11 in Philippians 1. Paul and Timothy, bondservants of Christ Jesus, to all the saints in Christ Jesus who are in Philippi, including the overseers and deacons, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God in all my remembrance of you, always offering prayer with joy in my every prayer for you all, in view of your participation in the gospel from the first day until now. For I am confident of this very thing, that he who began a good work in you will perfect it until the day of Christ Jesus. For it is only right for me to feel this way about you all, because I have you in my heart, since both in my imprisonment and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel, you are all partakers of grace with me. For God is my witness, I have longed for you all with the affection of Jesus Christ. And this I pray that your love may abound still more and more in real knowledge and all discernment, so that you may approve the things that are excellent in order to be sincere and blameless until the day of Christ, having been filled with the fruit of righteousness, which comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and the praise of God. This is the reading of God's Word. Well, why should we study the letter to the Philippians? A few years ago, I received an email from somebody. Now, I don't know what you think about emails. I have an, I have an opinion, I have an attitude about emails. Maybe I should change it sometime. 
but I have an attitude about emails compared to real letters. Um, years ago, I was with a bunch of doctors, and we talked, and they told me, do not ever write. Do not ever write anything more than just bullet points on an email. Don't give me any paragraphs. I will not read paragraphs. I will not read a letter. I will only read bullet points. I've got to see what you want. I've got to know what you want really quick, and then I'll go on to my next thing. And so with all these doctors, I started writing all my emails to them, bullet points. And it worked really well. So I always look at emails as information. And if you want an email from me, I'll probably write you information. I won't tell you anything personal because I don't want anything of my personal stuff to be out there anywhere for anybody to capture. And so this is the attitude I have about emails. And so if you get an email from me, uh, if you know the uh, Batman movies and stuff, you'll get the bad event from me. You'll get the bat time, the bat channel, bat place. You'll get the bat responsibilities. You'll understand the bat event, whatever. But a few years ago, I get this email. And it was not hi. It wasn't hello. It was dear Pastor Mark. And it was in script. And then I looked at the letter and it was all looked like it had been handwritten. And it was very long. And then I thought, i got to go see who wrote this. So I went all the way down to the bottom. It was very long. <laughs> and it looked like they had written in their hand. And they took this new form, I call email new form, and they used the old form and shoved it into this email. And I was intrigued. Somebody went to a long process to write me this email. And it was a, a young lady that I had recently married them, her to this young man in our church. And so she was saying thank you and but it drew me in. I had to read it. And it was very exciting to see that somebody had taken this new way of communicating and shoved the old form into it. And as we look at this letter, we have an old form and Paul is juicing it up. Paul's jazzing it up. This is something that's really great in these letters when he writes these ancient forms. They have a certain way, a certain appearance. There's an author and there's the recipients, and then there's the greeting. And it goes something like this. I thought you might like one of them. So here's one of them. <laughs> See what you think. Here's the old way of writing it. Tiberius, Claudius, Caesar, Augustus, Germanicus, Imperator, Pontific, Pontifex Maximus, holder of the tribution power, consul designate to the city of Alexandra. Greetings. That's the old form. Now, who do you think thinks pretty highly of themselves? <laughs> we might call him Caesar Augustus, right? But think about what he called himself, all those different titles. To Alexandria, greetings. And usually in the Old Testament, the greeting was always shalom. You know, he used to have a professor, and at the end of every class, he would say shalom. <laughs> shalom, shalom. I heard that so many times. The old way of doing it was shalom. And the new way is Chiron, or greetings. Now, Paul takes all of this old way, and he, he's going to do something with it for Christ's purposes. He's going to change this whole thing up. He's going to spike our attention by doing some things with it and changing it to get our attention. So there's two points this morning. The letter and what it communicates. The letter of Philippians, what it communicates, and the church and what it is composed of. First, the letter and what it communicates. 
What does it communicate to us? Paul and Timothy, bondservants of Christ, it communicates humility. Why do I need this letter? Well, I need this letter because I need to be taught humility. I need to be taught the humility of serving Jesus Christ in partnership with other slaves of Jesus Christ. Paul does not identify himself as Paul the Apostle. Did you notice that? I mean, I promise you, if you go look at a lot of the other letters, it says Paul, Apostle of Jesus Christ. Here he says Paul and Timothy, and he identifies himself not as the, the Apostle, the sent one, but he identifies himself as a bond servant. Now, a few weeks ago, we skipped, last week we had our uh, Resurrection Sunday service, and we had a sermon on the resurrection. But a few weeks ago, we talked about bond servant meaning slave. So Paul calls himself a slave. Now, in the old, in, in ancient times, by conquest, you could be a slave. Now, y'all remember the story in 2 Kings chapter 5. There's, the, there's Naaman, the Aramean. He's the general, big, big Aram, you know, Naaman. Well, he's got leprosy. And there's a little girl who's a slave in his home. She's a slave by conquest. They had defeated Israel in a battle, and she was his slave. So you could be a slave by conquest. You could be a slave by birth. If your parents are slaves, then you're born to those parents. You are a slave as well as your parents. And finally, you could be a slave because of debt. If you got yourself in debt, you could pay off your debt by selling a child, God forbid, or sell your children. Or you could place yourself under somebody and serve them to pay back your debt. The apostle is teaching us that we come into this world as slaves. Slaves by conquest. Satan conquered our first father, Adam. Satan defeated Adam in the Garden of Eden, and when he defeated him, he fell. And when Adam fell, we fell. All his posterity fell with him. Ephesians chapter 2 tells us we're slaves to the prince of the power of the air. And we've been studying, you can go look in Romans chapter 6, we've been studying this glorious thought of the fact that we are in, when we're in sin, we're under his power. That's where he reigns. But you and I, when we're, we're uh, in Christ, we're in a different rule and reign. Under sin, under Satan, we are conceived and born in sin. And we have a debt we cannot pay. The wages of sin is death. We're under a death sentence. And we can't go and pay for our sin by giving up a child. You can't go pay for your sin by giving up all your children. And you can't go pay for your sin by saying, I will go and I will work for you and I will solve my problem by working. The only answer is through another conquest. The only answer to our sin problem is another Adam must come to the rescue, and our rescuer is Jesus Christ. In Ephesians chapter 4, it tells us that Jesus descended to this earth. Now, some people say he descended into hell. Let's, let's be real clear about what that means. <laughs> the hell that Jesus went through was not the hell that was made for the devil and his angels. That's a totally different deal. The hell that Jesus descended into was the hell of the cross. Jesus comes. He obeys. He obeys to the point of even death on the cross, Philippians chapter 2. And on the cross, that is where he suffered the infinite wrath of God against his, himself for our sins. Not anything he did. For our sins. So on the cross, he is being punished with infinite wrath for three solid hours. And then out of the resurrection, he comes up and, it, and the Bible says he ascends into the heavens. But who goes with him? 
It says he takes captivity captive. Ephesians 4. He, who's captive? Well, we are. And all of us who put our faith and trust in him, we are handcuffed to the cross, and he is parading us in a triumphal procession all the way to glory. Now, our feet are firmly fixed in he- on this earth. But if you go read Ephesians chapter 2, it says we're, to get, we're gathered together in Christ Jesus, so it's both. It's, it's both. Right now we're, we're still here firmly on the ground, but our minds are, are in heaven with him. So we have been set free from the penalty of sin, and we have been set free from the power of sin, and we will be eventually set free from the presence of sin. But for now, you and I, we are humble servants of Jesus Christ. Here's Paul not calling himself the apostle, but calling himself a slave for the purpose of Christ. Think about what it says here. In verse 5, he talks about, did you, I read that on purpose, partnership. Partnership with the Philippians. Paul speaks of his partnership with the Philippians. In verse 25, remember that verse where he says, uh, to depart and be with Christ is far better. He likes that. But he says, well, he says, if I remain in the body, it will mean fruitful labor for your progress and for your joy. So he's talking about partnership. If I stay, it's to be in partnership with you. It's to be with you. It's to be for you. Think about what it says there in chapter 4, verses 2 and 3. There's two women, Euodia and Syntyche. Y'all know them, don't you? Y'all know Euodia and Syntyche? You know what? In this passage, you know what they're doing? They're facing away from each other, right? They have a disagreement going between each other. They're facing each away from each other instead of facing toward each other. For all this time, they've been facing each other. They've been working with Paul, and they've been fellow workers with Paul in the gospel of Jesus Christ and the kingdom. They were facing each other. Now they're facing away from each other. There's disunity. There's not partnership like it should be. And so Paul is asking a brother to step in and bring them back together. He speaks of Clement and the rest of the fellow workers. He speaks of Timothy because Timothy has helped establish the church in Philippi. He's already visited twice and he's sending him again. And he also speaks of Epaphroditus, their servant, coming to see him while he's in prison. You hear the partnership? This is what we need to hear in the letter of Philippians to teach us that, that slavery to Jesus Christ looks like partnership. We're joined together. I'm chained to the cross, but I'm chained to the cross with you guys. You're chained to the cross with me. And so we go out to do His will. We go out to plow on the same side of the plow going forward, not against each other like Euodia and Syntyche who need to be brought back together. You and I are, I like, I like C.S. Lewis, he likes to say this, shove your oar in. That's, what he's, that's how he talks. Shove your oar in. You know, who talks that way? <laughs> but I get it, right? Who, who talks that way? <laughs> Shove your oar in. So here's Paul, preacher extraordinaire, church planner extraordinaire. He's at the head of the table, and he's chained to a Roman guard. (laughs) And what's he doing while he's in prison? Well, he's washing their people's feet in prison. He washes people's feet when he's not in prison. He's joyful in prison. He's joyful when he's out of prison. How do we see ourselves? Are we participants in partnering together? as slaves to the gospel of Jesus Christ. The second thing we see the letter communicates is authority. It says, Paul and Timothy, bondservants of Christ Jesus. Now I had to do a little digging on this, but the Septuagint Greek here, 
The Septuagint is a Greek translation of the Hebrew Scriptures. And every time the word servant is used here, it's used to speak of one of God's servants. And so this can mean my servants. And so Paul is saying, I am a servant of God. And so we have servants in the Old Testament like Moses and Joshua and David and Jonah, servants of the Lord. And these are men who spoke the word of God. These are men who were uh, in the council of God, who heard the deliberations of God in the council. If you go read what it says about Micaiah in uh, 1 Kings before he speaks to King Ahab, he speaks of being in the council chamber and hearing the deliberations uh, before the throne of God. And so Paul is saying that he is one of these servants who's speaking the word of God to us. One commentator writes this, he says, Here's a first-class letter. Postmark, heaven. Sender, God. Addressee, you. It's the church in Philippi, but it's the church. It's the church anywhere and everywhere. This just happens to be addressed to Philippi, but it's also to us. And you say, Pastor Mark, Pastor Mark, I need a word from God. Well, friend, you're here, and hearing this word is hearing the word of God. God wrote this through this holy man and taught him the scriptures that needed to be written down for us today. And if you need to hear more, then I would beg for you to go home. And if you need to get your nap, go get your nap. Because when I go home today, folks, I'm going to lay down and be gone for an hour. I'm going to eat and I'm going to lay down for an hour. If you need to hear it again, go get in your closet, close your door, turn the light on, don't let anybody see you. That's what Jesus says. And read this and read this and read this and say, Lord, speak to me and give me my marching orders. This letter also communicates blessing. Now you hear that, hear the pastor always says, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. This is great stuff. That replaces Chiron. Remember all that stuff? Caesar Augustus to Chiron. Well, now this, listen to this juiced up greeting. Grace comes. Not Chiron, not greetings, but grace. It replaces Chiron. And then there's shalom or peace. It comes second. And so we have all of this being laid in front of us in our uh, greeting, our salutation. Why does he do this? Why does he put grace to you and peace? Because from the very beginning, he wants to communicate theology to us. He wants to impart from us, from to us, even in the salutation, something. Always grace first and then peace. Did you notice that? Grace first, then peace. Prior to grace, there is no peace. Did y'all know that? Prior to God's grace, there's no peace. Prior to God's grace, there's you and God, and y'all are in conflict with each other, just like me. Prior to God's grace, there was no peace. There's only conflict and war and enmity. And sometimes this war, it may be a passive war. We have people who walk around today and you know what they'll say, well, I don't, have any new, I don't have any conflict with God. I don't call Him God, but I don't have any conflict with God. But when you don't call Him God, you are in conflict with God. There's no neutral. There's no neutral. When my kids would, would uh, at home... Um, maybe y'all have this happen to you sometimes. Um, young, they never do this now. I don't, I don't ever do this either. If you confront me and talk to me and I don't give you a response, have I done, given you a response? 
You know, if you confront your children and you say, you have done X, and they stand there, they don't respond when they should, we call that the no response response. Because it's a response. See, it's not neutral, it's a response. Um, to, to, for a person not to take the name of God on their mouth, that's a response. What? Well, I, I don't take God's name in vain. I just don't take his name on my lips at all. That's a response. That's, 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 a, that's a way of not treating God's name with reverence. And there's some people who would say, well, it's just passive to me. But God says, listen, if you won't even take my name on your lips, that's a response. That is rebellion. It's just a quiet sort of rebellion. And then the war, it can be active. You may be radically opposing God. You may say with the psalmist there where the people are saying, I will not have this God to rule over me. This war is going on. It may be passive. It may be very active. But there's always this lack of peace going on between yourself and God. And when you are at lack, when you lack peace with you, between yourself and God, doesn't, doesn't that always bleed over into all the other relationships? You ever run into somebody who has no peace with God and you get up a little bit close to them and all of a sudden you wish you weren't close to them? And then when you go home at night, if you're still lacking peace with God, you're lacking peace with each other, and you go home and you close your eyes at night, you still have no peace inside your own heart. And then comes God's grace. God's grace comes to us in the form of Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ does all the work. You and I, we have peace not because of our works, but because of what Jesus did on the cross. And so then comes the peace. You and I need God to send Jesus into our life to begin a good work in us, Philippians 1.6. You and I need God to come in the person of Jesus Christ to set, our, set us free from our sin, to give us eyes to see and ears to hear, to find us when we're lost, bring us back, and give us this peace that we need. Think about this. Now, this is one of truly, I, I, want, I want to say this to you. I've been thinking about this for maybe 22 or 23 years, what I'm about to say, it, it's to die for, okay? Let me think. Here's faith. Here's faith. God comes up to, to Noah, and he says, Noah, listen, in 120 years, there's going, to be a, there's going to be a flood. Think about it. Noah's never seen rain. Never. Never been rain before. Just dew on the ground. It's going to be a flood in 120 years. And so Noah, he goes out, and he gets on the... He stands over, the, over there and he looks at a place and he goes, 120 years. He's 120 years down the road. He looks down the road. He says, I believe you, God. I believe it's going to rain. He walks all the way back to ground zero to the day that it is. And he goes, okay, because that's happening in 120 years, I'm going to get my tools out. I'm going to hire men. I'm going to get trees and fell the trees. I'm going to you know, form and fashion wood into this ark. I'm going to build an ark for that day because I believe you that day's coming. And so then when that day does come, he goes into the ark, God closes the door, the rains begin to fall, and all the wicked die, and he's saved. But before that day ever happened, Genesis 6, 5, I mean 6, 8 happened. You know what 6, 8 says? Noah found favor with God. Grace first. Grace first, then salvation from the storm, from the flood. Grace first. God, Noah found grace in the eyes of God. In Genesis 12, we see the same thing. There's Abraham. Abraham's told by God that he's going to make him a great nation. And you can just track all the way through chapter 12. He goes and he builds uh, altars and he worships and he calls on God. He has 
all, he makes mistakes along the way. And then he has this great victory over these five kings and he saves his uh, nephew Lot. He looks like a king in chapter 14. In chapter 15, he's got some fear in his life and God comes to him and tells him the truth again, the promise again. And then he says he believed God and it was reckoned to him as righteousness. He makes another failure in chapter 16. In chapter 17, he, God comes to him and says, walk before me and be blameless. He reminded him of what he did in chapter 16 where he sinned. And so in chapter 17, he gives him the sign and seal of the covenant. And then later on, he has the son, the son of promise he's been waiting on for 25 years. But what was before all of that? God came to him and said, grace came first. Grace came in the last part of Genesis 11 and called him to leave Ur of the Chaldees. Grace came and changed him and sent him out of that place. All of those connections, all of his idolatry. Because God so loved you, God called Abram out of Ur of the Chaldees. Because he loved you. And now you and I, we are sons of Abraham as we believe in the seed that came from Abraham, Jesus Christ. Let me finish this point by saying this. Jesus, the resurrected Jesus, comes in John 20, 26, and he says this, Peace be with you. And he walks over to unbelieving, old doubting Thomas, and he says, Put your hand here and put your finger there and look at this, and here is what? Peace comes because of grace. What I did on the cross. And when you and I put our faith and trust in Jesus, his peace guards our hearts and our minds. So the letter communicates humility, the letter communicates authority, and the letter communicates the blessings of grace and peace. Well, second, the church and what it's composed of. Did you notice what it says there in verse 1 to all the saints? The church is composed of saints. The church is composed of saints. Now, you know how many times we call ourselves what? We all call ourselves Christians. That's only three times in the, in the New Testament. Christians only in the New Testament three times. But you know how many times the word saints used? Did you know how many times saints used Saint Ben? 60 times. Saint Gardner, right? Saint Bud, right? 60 times. This is what the Bible calls us. We're called saints. God is the original set-apart one. God is the uniquely set-apart one. God, the Bible tells us that God is holy. The Bible tells us that the seed of the woman was a holy child and the Spirit of God is a holy spirit. And so when you read Hebrews, I mean Isaiah chapter 6, what does it say? It says, set apart. Set apart. Set apart. Have you ever read it that way before? Holy, holy, holy. It says, set apart, holy. Now, you know, in the Hebrew, in order to, to talk about degree... You have to add the same word again. You and I, we say holy, holier, and holiest. We say holy, more holy, mo most holy. To say most holy in Hebrew, you have to say holy, holy, holy. That's how you go the degree up. I'm going to come over to Steve. I'm going to sell Steve some land down in Florida. You know, it's not worth nothing. You know that little joke. And if I'm going to sell him a lot of land. I want to say, Steve, I need to sell you land, land, land i got a lot of land. Well, God's got a lot of holiness. He is totally different than every other being. And another thing we see is he's pure. And when Isaiah the prophet sees the purity, and we actually know that John 12 tells us that who he's actually seeing when he's 
looking at the throne is he's seeing Jesus. He's seeing the holiness of Christ. And this is a beautiful picture. I want you to think about this. We're going to apply this in a minute. So God enters into Isaiah the prophet's life. Isaiah the prophet, we don't know how his walk with God has been. This is his call to the ministry. He's been walking with his friend Uzziah. And now he's called into the ministry. And when he sees the holiness of God, he doesn't run from the holiness of God. He doesn't flee from the holiness of God. He curses himself. He says, Woe is me, for I am ruined, for I am a man of unclean lips, and I live among a people of unclean lips. And after he does that cursing of himself and says, Woe is me, and confesses his sins, this angel leaves and goes over with a pair of tongs and picks up a blood-soaked coal and takes it and applies it to where? To his lips. Because that's where he confessed his sin. And now there's forgiveness. Now follow me. Grace first then peace, forgiveness. And then he begins to hear this voice that I heard a voice of the Lord saying, whom shall I send and who will go for us? So after grace, there's peace. And after peace, there's a call to serve. Now this is free because I didn't put this in the sermon, but you and I, we have peace so that we can serve each other. And the same thing is true of each one of us. We're set apart. We're called holy ones. We're taken out of sin. We're placed into righteousness and into Christ. And when God's grace works in us, we see Jesus' perfection. And you and I, we can curse ourselves. And we can confess our sins. And what sins should we confess? The sins of our lips. James, the Lord brother, says this. The tongue is is a member in our bodies. And it is... If you can completely control your tongue, you will be a perfect person. Wow. It's a little rudder, but it can control the whole ship. And then he goes on and he says this, This little rudder is like a fire. This little rudder corrupts the body. It's restless, full of deadly poison, set on fire of hell. It should not be this way. And then he says this, with our tongue we can sing glorious praises to God and with our tongue we can do damage to images of God sitting right next to us. This should not be. There was a preacher who came to my church years and years ago. He told me, he, he told me, he said, uh, he told me he was going to say something so I would be ready. And he said, um, he got up in front of everybody. He says, I'm going to preach on this today, but tonight I want to tell you what I'm going to preach on. He said, what I'm going to preach on tonight is I'm going to preach on the most wicked member in this body. I want you to come back to hear about him. Of course, everybody came back that night and this is what he preached on. The wickedness of the, of the tongue. And you and I, when we come to God... One of the things we need to be doing is confessing the sins of our tongue. Are you a perfect man? I'm not. Are you asking God to muzzle your tongue? Are you asking Jesus to send the Holy Spirit to take a blood-soaked coal off the altar and touch you on your lips so that you have more sanctified speech? The church is composed of saints in Jesus Christ. To the saints who are in Jesus Christ, you and I, we are set-apart ones in Jesus Christ. 
You and I, we are to be those of a different order or a different kind. I remember when I was studying Acts chapter 9, you know, those, those times, you know, when I'm seminary, first exegetical paper, that's a big deal to do your first exegetical paper. I'm studying Acts chapter 9, and I'm reading about how he's bringing out threats and murder against the disciples of Jesus Christ. And one of the commentators said that Saul's environment, what he breathed out on people was threats and murder. I don't know, have you ever been I'm in the gym? When I would be in the gym, I'm, I'm like doing my work, doing my work, just like you guys. You do your work, you do your work, and all of a sudden somebody rubs up against you. What's that guy's name in uh, the, uh, oh, Linus? Is it Linus, the one that has the, 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 the dirt popping off of him all the time? And pig pen, pig, sorry, it's a pig pen. And he stands beside everybody, and this dirt's kind of coming off of him, you know. And some people would come up to me when I'm in the gym and all of a sudden their stuff is kind of like getting on me because they're talking to me. And they're talking to me in a way that I go, I don't really need to hear that. I don't want to hear that. Now sometimes we bump into this stuff and we have to run away from it. But there's a whole different environment that some people are living in and you just go to your job and see what happens sometimes when you rub up against a lost person. They don't think like you. They don't talk like you. And you and I, we have been submerged into the ocean of God's love. And you and I are fish in this ocean. And we have gills. And as we swim through this water, those gills pull the oxygen out of it and keep us strong and keep us healthy. In, the, in California, one of the things they do with all these almond trees is you'll see, I, I said, guys, what's going on with these almond trees? There's all these almond trees and they've got... The, the bottoms, the butts of the, of, the, of the tree is huge. And out of it comes this little stalk. I'm going, what's the deal with that? Those are peach bottoms. They graft the almond tree into the peach bottom because peach roots are good and stronger than almond roots. And you and I, we're grafted into something stronger than we are. <laughs> we're grafted into Jesus Christ. And so we've been, we've been placed in him. And yes, until Jesus comes, we're going to have to fight like uh, a sin that remains in us, like guerrilla warfare is going on all the time. We're going to have to fight against it till the day we die. But we will work with uh, the Spirit of God and we will make some advances. Well, let me finish by saying this. and We'll talk about saints in Philippi for a second. I, I can't say this enough. You have to tell yourself the truth, guys, folks. You have to tell yourself the truth. I'm not a slave of sin. I'm a slave of Jesus Christ. I am a slave who's learning humility. I'm a slave who's under His authority. I'm a person who knows God's grace, and I'm at peace with God through Jesus Christ, and I'm somebody who knows His love. I'm breathing in new air. I'm in Christ. I live in Him. And sometimes I'm down. And sometimes I feel defeated, but I know that he's going to pick me up. And I know that you guys are going to pick me up because we're in partnership together. I've got to tell myself the truth. I'm pursuing holiness. I'm set apart in Christ. Well, finally, the church is composed of saints in Philippi. To the saints in Christ Jesus who are in Philippi. Did y'all notice they're located spiritually in Christ and physically they're located in Philippi. Now, we just read that passage where they went to Macedonia and they went to the city of Philippi in Macedonia. Now, Macedon, I mean, Philippi is about a, a city of about 10,000 folks, and most of these folks are Roman warriors. They're retirees, and they did a lot of farming there. 
And in Acts 16, Paul is, receives this Macedonian vision. He knows the will of God, and he goes in a ship and gets off and goes and heads straight to Philippi. Now, normally the routine, if you read, your book of, read the book of Acts, you know that Paul first preaches where? The synagogue. But there's no synagogue. That tells us there's not even ten Jews in Philippi. There's not enough to have a synagogue. And so, since there's no synagogue, Paul and Silas, they go to a river, and they found a group of women praying. And this is where the first church in Europe starts. This is where the church in Philippi starts. It starts with Paul preaching the gospel, and a woman named Lydia, who's a seller of purple fabric, God opened up her heart to receive what he said, and the church begins as she and her household are baptized. Then there's a demented slave girl, and Paul gets tired of seeing her being used by her masters to make money for them in a sort of fortune-telling scheme. And so he casts the demon out of her, and these owners become so furious, they seize him, they seize Silas, and drag him out to the marketplace. They begin to beat them mercilessly until they're bloodied, and then they cast them into prison. I left a few things out. So now they're in prison. They're handcuffed to the walls. And what are they doing? It says that Paul and Silas are singing hymns of praise to God and the prisoners are listening to them. And then there's an earthquake and after the earthquake, all the doors, all the cells of the prison cells are opened up and this jailer begins to take out his sword to kill himself because he's responsible for all of them. And Paul says, don't do any harm to yourself. We're all here. And the man comes and runs in and says, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? And they say what? Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved, you and your household. And this man believed and he and his family were baptized. So that's the church of Philippi, how it started. It starts by a river. Isn't that weird? Well, where are we at? <laughs> Starting by kids or kids? By alligator, places where it says signs, alligators right down the road here? Started with a slave girl, demon cast out. Started with a jailer and his family and a whole lot of suffering. And this letter's being written to this church. It started like that, being written to this church that now is, have saints in Christ Jesus, have overseers in place, have deacons in place. Their minister, Epaphroditus, has been sent to see Paul in prison and Timothy's being sent by Paul to see, to see them. Partnership. You are set apart ones in Christ Jesus. You're physically located in where? Sugarland, Rosenberg, Southwest Houston. Let's be big, Southwest Houston. In this place that we have here, our church in Southwest Houston, God takes old couples, God takes young couples, God takes retirees. God takes entrepreneurs. God takes fixer-uppers. God takes school teachers. God takes people who run the Zambonis and make ice and do all kinds of crazy stuff. And he takes retirees that work for NASA and, and all these great places and Mr. Fixer-uppers and all the guys we have, musicians and school, uh, you know, people who go to college. He puts us all together. Build a kingdom. And so here we are. To partner together. What are we to do? Well, I sure hope that if we are Euodia and Sintiki, we'll work our disagreements out, don't you? Brother, would you step in and help? <laughs> Isn't that great? 
And if we, if we, we strive, let's strive together. Let's be content together. Let's suffer together. Let's continue to do meal trains for each other. Thank you so much. Let's rejoice together. And let's be stars in a very dark world as we stand together. Let's pray. Our Father, we thank you for your love. We thank you for this word. We thank you for the letter to Philippian, to the Philippian church. Because we know this is a, a letter not just to them, but to us. It's addressed to us the church of the living God. And we thank you that we can have grace and peace with you. We thank you for the grace of the Lord Jesus. We thank you for the peace that we have through him. And we thank you that you call us to serve each other and to partner together in this place, even here in Southwest Houston. Lord, work in each one of our hearts and make us to love you, to love each other, and to continue to strive for the glory of God. We pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen.